Chapter 10 of Jerry McCauley, His Life and Work by Jerry McCauley and edited by Robert M. Offord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kristen Hand. Chapter 10. The Cremorn Mission. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy bleeding wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Thus far, we have spoken only of Jerry's labors in the Water Street Mission. For over two years previous to his death, he carried on a similar work in the Cremorne Mission at 104 West 32nd Street. Of the origin of that work, he once said to a reporter, Dr. Talmadge was the first one that started me to thinking about it. That was over two years ago. Dr. Talmadge had been around the dives and seen what was going on and preached about it, you know. I had been around New York some, and I thought I knew the worst places in it, but I was mistaken, for I'd never seen anything so bad as this neighborhood. The first time I found out what it was really like happened this way. There was a fellow they called Happy Joe come up one night and got a little full, and began to sing a hymn he'd heard down at our Water Street place. And at last he said, let's have a Jerry Macaulay prayer meeting right here. Well, the girls jumped at the idea, and he took me off and made fun of the whole thing. Well, sir, that blaspheming rascal was the cause of my coming here. Those girls were so interested from his description that two of them came down to Water Street in a carriage to our meetings, and then often came. One of them came to me afterwards and wanted me to help find her sister, who had got into some bad place uptown, she was afraid. Mrs. McCauley and I got interested, and we came up to look for the girl's sister. We started in at Bleecker Street took in the Allens, Harry Hills, Wes Allens, and all the rest there, and came up and went to nearly all the Sixth Avenue dives. Before we got through, I made up my mind that this was a worse place than Water Street, and resolved that the Lord would help me to start a mission up here. I finally fixed on this place, because it was about the worst I could find. Mrs. McCauley says, We felt that our work in Water Street was done, and the time had come when we ought to make a change. After this visit, it seemed to us that the cry went up to heaven for a mission here, that some of the hundreds of young men and women frequenting these dens and dives might be saved. We went home and prayed, God, if he wanted us up here to open the way, and if he didn't want us here to put up a barrier so high we couldn't climb over it. After many prayers and tears and with much fear and trembling, we found a place. Then we asked God if he wished us to come to send the means that day. The answer came, and soon we had $9,000. Then a number of Christian gentlemen were invited to become trustees, and the place was fitted up and the work commenced. In June 1883, Jerry felt led to commence the publication of a journal which he named Jerry McCauley's Newspaper, and which continues to be issued every month. It contains in its columns accounts of the Cremorne and other mission meetings in New York, with the testimony of converts, just as they are uttered in the meetings. From among these, we have culled a handful of Jerry's own testimonies. It is to be regretted that more of them have not been recorded. Those of them in print we give without comment. Mistaken Prophets I never undertook anything, but the prophets said, Jerry, you've made a mistake. When I started the Water Street Mission, none of these wise fellows would come near me for a while. One man said, well, if it's a success, I'll give you $25. Yes, I thought, if... And if they were all like you, it could not be a success. When I came uptown, they said again, Now Jerry has made the mistake of his life. Even some of the trustees objected and said, Water Street Mission will go down if Jerry leaves. As if Jerry McCauley was anything, or that God couldn't do without me. Not so. 
This mission would just run on the same if I should die tomorrow morning. Why, if any of you has the money, I'll go and start a mission right away at a place over here called Hell's Kitchen, and another somewhere else, and they would all be full, and God would save souls. Now you want to tell the story just as it is. If God has taken you out of a dirty hole, say so. Commencing the Water Street Work When I first went into a meeting, it was during the John Allen excitement. They asked whoever wanted prayers to stand up. Well, thinks I, them fellows can't hurt me praying for me, so I stood up, and here I am today. I didn't go off to Harlem then, or some other place where no one knew me to start a mission and work for God, but I went right to work where I was well known. I went to a certain minister, and he said, Why, you are wild, Jerry, to try and start a mission down there. Why, they'll kill you the first thing and fire you and the old benches outdoors together. Well, I replied, let them. I've taken and given a good many hard knocks for the devil, and I think I can stand to take a few for the dear Lord Jesus. So I shall start right there where I am most needed and where no one else wants to go. Well, go on then, if you must, and here's five dollars for you anyway, and God bless you. And we went to work. I got five or six of us up in one corner of that old house, and we roared away on Rock of Ages, and there is a fountain filled with blood. That's all we knew. We didn't know high meter from low meter, but we went at it with all our might, for we meant it. No one came in for quite a while, when finally I discovered the reason. The old man I had at the door wouldn't let anyone in. He had the door locked, it kept them all out. He wasn't going to let any of those bad characters in to disturb our meeting. Not he. We had some strange work, but see the results. The Water Street Mission is alive today with a number of branches in this country and in England. The Cremorne Mission stands today as a branch of the old Water Street, and there are several branches from this one already. Confessing for Christ's Sake There are a great many here tonight whom the Lord has made happy. Many more have happy homes who at one time had no home at all. We owe a great debt of gratitude. Just see what comforts I am surrounded with. See my happy, comfortable home. See all the dear, kind friends I have now. Yet this was not always so. I once lived a crooked life. I am ashamed to say so. But for Jesus' sake, I confess it. It serves to keep me humble to refer to what I was. It keeps pride down and crucifies the flesh. If we humble ourselves, the Lord says he will lift us up. But if we exalt ourselves, he will cast us down. If we lift ourselves up, we will soon fall. Now let each of you be prompt to testify for God to the things you know of his dealings with your souls. The Story to Tell Did you ever read in the Bible about that fellow in the tombs? He tore all his clothes off and broke his chains and nobody could help him. But Jesus came along and saved him and put a new suit of clothes on him, shoes and all. No second-handed things. But what did the fellow do? Why, I expect he straightened up his coat collar, put on a white choker, and said, Well, I guess, Lord, I'll go along with you and have a good easy time, and folks will think I'm respectable. But Jesus said to him, Go back among the people that knew what a miserable old tramp you were, and tell them what wonderful things God has done for you. And I can imagine I see him go back and get up on an old barrel and tell the people what a miserable wretch he was until Christ found him. Power of Testimony Some folks get wonderful, pretty, and precise and afraid to tell what God has done for them, and some poor listening soul hearing those nice, kid-gloved sinners talk says to himself as he starts to go out, They are a lot of pretty cranks with their soft talk. When just then some honest soul will get up and say, I was a hard case. Then the poor fellow going out stops and listens to catch every word, and as the man goes on to tell his story, the other sits down interested, gets all broken up as he thinks, That's just where I am tonight. 
and soon the tears begin to run down his cheeks, and the next thing he is forward for prayers, then takes his place in the congregation to tell the old, old story, so new to him. Love testimony, he continued. I guess I do. That man there, pointing to Orville Gardner, came to prison where I was under sentence of 15 years and told how God saved him. I knew what he was before, and I had got all broken up and went back to my cell, got on my knees, and Christ saved me. Always give your testimony, just as it is. No half-hearted religion. God has saved me. I was almost a tramp, but see the difference tonight. He's taken the appetite for that frightful rum away. I remember living in a basement over in Brooklyn without even a chair or a bed in it. In fact, we didn't have anything. Yet he has taken us up, washed us, and made us clean in his own blood. A half-hearted religion won't do for me. I want something more solid, and this religion of Jesus Christ saves and keeps me. A test that told. When I was in the old way, I remember one night stealing $100 worth of sugar from a schooner. After my conversion, one evening I was in Dover Street Mission when who should come in but the captain of the schooner. He saw me and asked those around what they were doing with Jerry McCauley there. They told him Jerry was converted when he said he would rather believe the devil was converted than McCauley. They called me down to him and the captain said, do you know me? I said, I think I've seen you somewhere. The captain replied, I think you have. Do you remember the sugar you beat me out of? I really don't know, I said. I've beat so many. He told me the circumstances, and then I said, Well, I've been converted, and to prove it to you, I will give you the $100. But he said he had beaten the owners, and I had beaten him, and so we would call it square. I tell you, my friends, it pays to serve the Lord. I hope some poor soul may tonight conclude to be honest with himself and with God. Come on the Lord's side tonight. Forgiven most, praise most. Those of whom God has taken out of the dirty hole ought to be always telling of his goodness. It hurts me when God's people act as if they were ashamed to speak for him. I am no hair splitter, and what God says to me I believe because he says it. You heard about the fellow who was describing a little fly to another friend, and he talked about the various parts of the fly and so on, and wondered how they could have been produced. Look, says he, at this tiny foot. How could it ever have been made? Oh, don't bother me, said the other. God said, let there be flies, and there was flies, and I know there is plenty of them, and that is enough for me. Some people are hair splitters. If I get religion, how will so-and-so come out? Well, let God take care of that, and do you do your duty. He saved me several years ago, and he has kept me by simply trusting in him. Slack kind of Christians. I was thinking of what that lady who was seated over there said when testifying tonight about moderate drinking and prohibition. It is a terrible thing to profess to be a Christian and still drink rum. Why don't all the preachers preach radical temperance? Shall I tell you? Because some of them dabble in the accursed stuff themselves. They sip it, and a few of them defend its use as a beverage, and call me a lunkhead and an ignoramus and a poor, uneducated fanatic. Well, I'm willing to be called a fanatic in this matter, and I don't deny I am uneducated and an ignoramus. I never pretended to be anything else, but this I know, souls do get saved here, and poor drunkards give up their drink and become happy, sober men, husbands and fathers. Moody says God don't choose men according to their abilities, but chooses the man or woman next to him, that is, the one who lives nearest to him. Some folks don't know what it is to live near the Lord. They have no moral backbone, no strength of character, nothing in them for good or evil, and never will have. 
you ask them why they don't come to meeting and they'll say, oh, it's too crowded up there at Macaulay's or it's too hot up there at the mission. I'd say to them, I'm thinking you'll get a hotter place if you don't stir yourselves, a place you won't get out of easy either. Here are ungodly men and women sweltering away every night and these dainty professors think it's too hot. I wonder if the dear Jesus ever complained of it being too hot to help souls. These are the kinds that won't take a stand for temperance or anything else. I don't see how you could put wine on your tables or drink it yourselves right in the presence of your children. May God help you tonight to see these things as they are. How would you like to give me a bottle of wine and see me rolling in the gutter, cursing and blaspheming the name of God instead of praying? Yet you are doing it to others who might be as useful. Young converts start well. God saves them from drink and their homes brighten up. They get good employment and begin to move in society. Again, they see your so-called moderation and then say, he is a good Christian man and it can't be so wrong after all to use it in moderation. And he tastes, drinks, falls, and dies. Who's to blame? I know of an old woman downtown who no doubt commenced as a moderate drinker, but when I saw her, she was such a helpless sot that she soon after died through rum. The Great Change I am glad the Lord has permitted me to live and to meet the friends of other years here today. I met Mr. H. coming out of the bank once with $150,000 in his hand. As he came out, he took my arm, and I told him I'd have cut his head off once for half that amount. And I would, but see the change now. Here I am with as good a suit of clothes on as he has. He carries a good watch, and see there, pulling out his timepiece, so do I. I once couldn't sport a wooden watch. I speak this way just to show what the gospel can do for a man if he will only be honest and let God have his way. Why, I used to sleep on the dock with a string piece for my pillow. He was called a turncoat. The testimonies of this evening, he said huskily, will tell in eternity. I am sick tonight and ought to be upstairs, but I desire to see souls saved. I was taken sick first in Water Street and grew worse while on my knees with the poor sinners crying for mercy, but would not stop until I got through. Then I crawled upstairs on my hands and knees. That was my first attack of pneumonia. When I'm to die, and it may not be long, I want to die on my knees, praying for lost souls. I don't care how you bury me. Any old box will do. I don't want money spent on flowers for me. There are small fortunes spent on flowers at some funerals, and I think it would be better to give it to the poor. I would rather some poor soul that I was the means of leading to the Lord would put one little rose on my grave than have the wealth of a millionaire. Footnote. In view of Jerry's wish, he recorded the incident mentioned at the close of chapter 12 is peculiarly interesting. End footnote. My testimony tonight is, the Lord picked me up when I was a dirty tramp without a friend or scent in the world. The Roman Catholic folks who heard of my conversion called me a turncoat, but I had no coat to turn, nothing but an old red shirt when I came to Jesus. His Methods Not Appreciated when I was first converted, I used to get up at every chance I got and tell the people I had been an old drunkard, and one of the trustees of the church didn't like it, and one said he wished I would not tell the people what I was. We did not know how to put on airs, but went right in for solid work. We would go into the congregation and talk to the people and lead them to the altar. One night, my wife got a young lady to come, and we knelt down beside her to help her to the Lord. Several of the pillars were sitting quietly on the platform, doing nothing. And one of them, a big gun, said sneeringly, 
Jerry and his wife will talk that girl to death. Wife heard it and arose and took her seat, but I didn't hear a word, and twas well I didn't. Just as wife got up, the Lord wonderfully saved that girl. Oh, how happy she was. It was a good thing we did run the risk of talking her to death, for she died shortly afterward and went over in the triumphs of faith and is now safe in the arms of Jesus. Taking up the cross. I hope all the converts will feel the responsibility that rests on them tonight. If you feel it's too heavy a cross for you to bear, you ought to ask God to take it away. I used to think it was a terrible thing to talk in meeting and tell what God had done for my soul. At first, when I used to get up there, would come a great lump in my throat that nearly choked me. But I would jump up and hang on to the seat and say, I love Jesus, and flop down as if I were shot. I always felt better for it. Let everyone improve the time tonight. End of chapter 10